Welcome to the Balanced Man Podcast with your host, Ernie Harrison. We have five pillars in our lives that need balance. Spiritual, mental, emotional, physical, and financial. Join us as we interview pros in these areas to help us gain wisdom, pass that wisdom on, and leave a legacy for future generations. Welcome to the Balanced Man Podcast. I'm Ernie Harrison, the host and today I'm interviewing a, a friend of mine who I've interviewed in the past, Doc Collins. And Doc is a psychotherapist and currently a, I think you're, are you full-time teaching at the University of Tampa? No, it's, yes, I'm full-time teaching at Kaiser University. Oh, Kaiser and University. I, yeah, I see clients in a private practice and I do it virtual sessions. Okay, great. Yeah, so I highly recommend you guys, and especially if you're a first responder or a military veteran, go back and check out our last, our first interview. Doc and I talked about PTSD, something that, that I have dealt with in the past and still struggle with at times. But, you know, I think we all, no matter if you're military or first responder, you can have PTSD from trauma in childhood and past or major accident or something you may have been involved in. But Doc gave some great advice on how to recognize that and when to seek help and what you may be doing to cope with that that you don't even realize. So go check that out if you get a chance. But today, I was fascinated talking to Doc Collins here recently. He's teaching a class on death and dying and wanted to talk to him today about that because I think that's something that fascinates everybody because we all going to die, right, Doc? That's right. It's pointed yeah. on demand once to die. That's right. And so, yeah, you're, so it's fascinating to talk to you about that. And I guess you were talking about some near-death experiences that you've been researching and people who, the experiences that they've had with these near-death yeah. experiences, or they have died and have been resuscitated or come back and right, talk about right. those experiences. Yeah. So tell me about your class and what, how that, how that, what the purpose of that is and what you're doing in that, what you're teaching in that. It's one of my favorite classes to teach. It's an undergraduate psychology class. I prepare students for an undergraduate degree in psychology and teach a lot of different classes for that degree. The death and dying class is a class about how to cope with your own death, the death of those around you, as well as to help people that are still living as they process towards their own death. If they've got some type of terminal illness or just being elderly and pending their own death and how to help them cope with their own passing, how to help themselves deal with the passing of their loved one, as well as how to help them deal with their own passing eventually. Our resources that are available, such as hospice, faith-based institutions, to help the person in whatever faith tradition that they have with their pending demise, because nobody gets out of here alive. So this is something we all have to deal with sooner or later. And usually the person's first death encounter is as a child with a pet, a cat or a dog or maybe a hamster or something. Uh, usually that's a person's first encounter with death. And then later in life, obviously, they lose loved ones and friends, maybe accidents or whatever, and then eventually their grandparents yeah. and so on. That's usually how it goes. The, the class is really designed to give somebody an overall view of perspectives about death, both culturally and personally, and to make them aware of their own belief sets. Sometimes people aren't really aware of how they actually feel about death because they don't like to think about it. Yeah. So it helps people develop a personal awareness of their perspectives on death. And uh, it's a fascinating class. Yeah, I've known most people, young people, don't think about it at all. And they may witness it with someone else, but they don't really think about it in their own life unless there's a traumatic event that may happen to them. Like myself going to combat 
you know, it gives you a, they say there's no atheists in foxholes. So when your, your life's on the line, it definitely changes your perspective on things. But your students that you have in there, you know, is it something that they take seriously and actually start thinking about considering their own mortality? Well, yes, that's one of the advantages of teaching there is Kaiser has mostly non-traditional students. Uh, I'd say about 50 to 60 percent of every class that teaches military veterans, uh, many of whom are parents, sometimes they're grandparents. They're almost all working adults, people that came back from military service. They realized they needed a degree for their next career path. That They actually take it very seriously, I think much more seriously than a traditional college student who had just gotten out of high school and now they're starting their undergraduate degree. Also, the nice part is they usually have had either in combat-related or in real-life-related, they've had usually some experience with death rather than the experience that a younger traditional college student might have. It's fantastic discussions and you. What about yourself? What was your first experience with death that you started to think about your own mortality? It was, I grew up on a farm in Indiana, and we had cows and pigs and ducks at one time, and we had goats and Dogs and cats, of course, and of course, there's always some of those dying, some calves being born deceased, and some cows dying in the field, and cats being, we find them dead because whatever. So I have farms in Indiana that are active, and they got a lot of animals on them, have a lot of death. Yeah. So I encountered that at an early age, but like a typical young person, you don't really think about your own death. You think it's always going to happen to somebody else. So... I had an early introduction, but it wasn't until much later in life when I was in the military and the army and in law enforcement where you're faced with the very real possibility of your own death, even though you're young. That's That was when I first began to really think about it. You know, there's, like you said, we have animals that die and that kind of thing. And then we go out and we buy another animal to try to, to fill that void. And we, animals' lifespans aren't anything like humans, pets that we have anyway, maybe what, maybe 15, 20 years at most for maybe a cat or something. But most animals die, you know, they say every animal's year and a dog is seven years for humans. So they may live 12, 13 years, a lot of times that are bigger animals, but it's not a, it's not a human. And um, when it comes to a parent or a grandparent dying, we just, you think of that differently because we, people, every, a lot of people, they know the word heaven or anything because there's a heaven. So the psychology behind that, how do you transfer your thinking from a pet dying and replacing that with another pet than with a, a parent or grandparent dying? How does that, it's a whole different reality because we think of where they're gone, what happened to them, where their body may be dead, but we're told that the spirit lives on forever. How do you well, counsel somebody not, in that aspect? Not everybody has a religious perspective. A lot of people don't really, they might believe in a higher power, but they don't really have a relationship with a higher power. Mm-hmm. Some people are Christian. Some people are Hindu. There's a really wide variety. So you have to kind of meet the person where they're at with whatever their religious belief set is, from atheist mm-hmm. to agnostic all the way to evangelistic Christian or Catholic, or whatever. So it's important to meet them where they're at. And it's also important to be age-appropriate. You can, kids can most understand death if they've had a pet. And then you could say that grandpa went to heaven, Buster went to heaven. Remember, we buried Buster in the backyard. Mm-hmm. Buster's in heaven playing with grandpa. But obviously, if it's an adult, adults usually make their own trauma. Death itself is a traumatic event if you're close to the person. You're going to feel sorrow. 
And so when I've got somebody who's struggling with it, often it's because they're in denial. They're trying in their own head to change something that was completely out of their control, which is the passing of their loved one. Mm. And the grief is a completely normal response. It's part of the healing process for because the, the loss of a loved one is psychic wounds, and psychic wounds can be incredibly devastating. And the stages of grief, as stated by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, very well known, from uh, the initial phase of denial, right? person, when they're mm-hmm. told about death, they want to be in denial about it because it just their brain is overwhelmed. They don't want to think about it. Then you got anger. Sometimes they're angry at, at God. Sometimes they're angry at the messenger who just delivered the message. They're, they might be angry at the decedent. And then you've got a bargaining stage where they try to make deals with God or whatever to try to make the death not be real. And then you have depression stage where you begin to realize bargaining is not going to work. The deals with God's not going to work. The person's not coming back. And then after the depression stage, you've got the acceptance stage. And that is, okay, life goes on. We want to move on without my loved one. And they deal with it in whatever religious or non-religious way that they choose to. Obviously, people who have faith in a higher power, faith in the beyond, have more tools to work with concerning death. Because the nice part about that is you can see it as a transition. Instead of the relationship with your loved one ending, you can see it as a transition. Generally, Christian faiths believe that those have gone on can look over the veil and see their loved ones and how they're doing, offer them spiritual support. Generally speaking, Christian our face, believe that. And so instead of seeing it, I can't talk to my loved one anymore, you can continue to have a relationship with them, which helps with coping of the passing. And you can have open conversations, you can update them on your life. You simply transition the relationship from a physical three-dimensional one to a, a spiritual one with them in heaven, but still able to see you and communicate. I think it's a fantastic feature of a faith-based person to be able to just transition a relationship rather than they're gone and I'll never see them or talk to them. So it's very helpful. And I know people may hear this and may not be Christians, but I think you and I are both Christians. So I want to take this in a Christian perspective as far as the podcast goes, because to me, that's the only thing that's worthwhile in my, in, in my life. I've saw other faiths and I've seen what they're their plan is, and I've chose Christianity, and I think you have as well. So I want to go down that road. You know, the Bible talks about there's one life, the physical, and then there's the judgment. Actually, we actually get two lives as a Christian. We live in the flesh here on earth, and then Jesus says we must be born again, which is a spiritual birth. And then that spiritual birth is not just in heaven. It starts here on earth, and yet it carries on into heaven for eternity. And uh, to me, that's where the greatest hope is, knowing that this life is temporary. It's a tent, as Paul says. We're living in a tent and waiting for heaven, which where there'll be, uh, Jesus says, you know, you know, mansions, our bodies will change. We'll be a new, a new creature. But the communication aspect you talked about with our loved ones, we can't really communicate with our loved ones once they've passed, right? The Holy Spirit is the well, Holy Spirit. The spiritual. It's like you can stand by their grave and just talk to them as if, you know, to update them on your life, whatever, yeah. you know, literally talk to them. Obviously, it's a spiritual context, right? Sure. But you don't hear back from them in any aspect. You're saying that's not a... It depends on how you see it faithfully. Some people think that my dad... I thought about my dad the other day, and then I thought about what would he think about the situation? And so 
the voice of your loved one might still be in your head. I think there's a real relationship with God. I mean, personally, I'm a Catholic Christian, but I I feel that we as humans can literally communicate with God and can literally hear answers from it. I'm not sure if we can literally communicate with our loved ones, but I do feel that their knowledge of our life continues. And there's a lot of evidence for this from the NDEs that the people on the other side do know about our life and do know what's going on with us. And I'll be happy to talk about the NDEs in a little bit. But the transition when you're a person of faith, a Christian faith, we have hope and we can pray for the repose of their soul after they pass. And you can pray for their soul before they pass. And this being able to pray to a higher power, in this case, God, to bless our loved ones as they make the transition has been demonstrated in studies. Somebody prays to God to help with a burden that's beyond their control, then it will lower their anxiety about that burden because they'll feel that they've gotten assistance with the burden, that they couldn't do anything about the burden, but somebody, God, is going to step in and help them with that because he did promise that if we would pray to him, he would hear our prayers. So that's a real and demonstrated empirically in studies that people's anxiety and frustration is lower if they pray to God, particularly to a higher power, with the problems that they, especially the problems they have no control, loved ones that are ill, loved ones that are passing, life situations, need a job, whatever it is that you got going on, when you pray about it, your frustration, anxiety goes down a little bit about that thing. And the ability to have some sense that you're not alone, that somebody's got your back, is a tremendous value psychologically in your tough and trying time. Sure. I heard a recent sermon from a friend of mine or acquaintance that really helped me out through a tough time. He was talking about, I think it's Paul who speaks of the uh, a great cloud of witnesses. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he took it as a way of saying, like, you're at your favorite football game and you're cheering on your favorite team or your favorite quarterback. He's saying that these cloud of witnesses are in a stadium. And they're mm-hmm. looking out on your life and they're cheering you on and they're wanting you to succeed. They're wanting you to to find truth and they're wanting you to go out and share that gospel message. And uh, in those times that you're struggling, they're cheering you on. As Ephesians 6 talks about, it's not just a physical world we deal with. We deal with a spiritual realm that's always combating us with positive and negative and good and evil. And, and a lot of times we get really depressed and we're struggling and it's great to think about that I have a great crowd of witnesses that have gone before me that are cheering me on, that are supporting me. So, and you that's find what I was talking about. The yes. loved ones that have gone before can give you spiritual strength and energy. That's what I was sure. talking about. I got you. I got you. So the NDE, that, that stands for near-death experience. Is that what you're talking about? Correct. Yes. Okay. And you've done a lot of research on that here. I've, I know here in the last couple of years, and I found it fascinating. And NDEs are a tremendous phenomenon. That's part of the class. We talk about near-death experiences. Generally speaking, a near-death experience is where somebody has physically died, either it's a car crash or they got sick or something happened, they drowned here in our natural environment, and they experienced a spiritual event, phenomenon, whatever you want to call it, and they go sometimes to heaven, sometimes to an another unknown place, and sometimes they go to hell. And the graphic descriptions of heaven are pretty consistent across people, time. This happens all over the world, the culture, civilization, the language can be all completely different. These people haven't met each other, never talked to each other. There's thousands of these interviews 
if somebody's interested in, in seeing some NDEs, just go to YouTube and Google near-death experience. There are numerous channels that have interviews of various types for people that have experienced an NDE. Some people experience it as a child, some ex- as a teen, some as an adult, uh, some as elderly. Some people have more than one NDE. Off the top of my head, there's a, a pastor who had experienced an NDE named Randy Kay, and he has a channel called Randy Kay Ministries, and he interviews people all the time that have experienced near-death experiences, and some of them have gone to hell, and the, the descriptions of hell are often so graphic, it's difficult for me. Like, I don't believe <clears throat> that these people are misrepresenting anything or, or talking about anything they didn't experience. I believe that these people are telling the truth as they know it. Now, I do have some background for analyzing whether it's body language is whether they're telling the truth or not, because I've spent 28 years in law enforcement. And so I was lied to professionally for 28 years. And so I'm really, really, really good at telling if somebody's being deceptive when they're telling something. And I'd say about 80 to 90% of the interviews that I've watched, I'm absolutely convinced the person was telling the absolute truth. They always got a few people in attention seeking or they have some other agenda or something. But generally speaking, I, the people are telling the truth as they know it and understand. And uh, I, I just want to come back to a transition example, because earlier I mentioned about seeing the loss of your loved one as a transition rather than as a loss. Okay, yes, I had a client, I helped clients counsel with bereavement, and this client had lost his mother unexpectedly uh, a few weeks following the surgery. They, there was no expectation that she was going to pass. Things didn't go well in the surgery, and she wound up passing a few weeks later. And uh, she was uh, young enough age, her life expectancy easily was another 20 to 30 years. And so the client was really dealing with the loss, focusing on the loss of his mother and how he didn't have her anymore. He was in really in a bad place, even though it had been some time since she passed. And so I asked him, you were by her bedside when she passed. Where on earth would you have rather been than by her bedside when she passed? Mm-hmm. And he thought about it because it had been very traumatizing to him to watch her pass. And so he thought, I said, no, I would, I would still want to be by her bed, even though it was traumatizing. And so I said, a lot of people don't get to be with their loved ones when they pass because of the way they passed or where they passed or incident or whatever. I said, it was a gift that your mother, who was there for you when you stepped to this side of the veil, of course she was there, and now you get to be there for her when she stepped across the veil to the other side. Now, what a privilege and an honor was that? And he thought about that, and his expression changed. When he reframed it from a loss to a privilege and began to realize that his love for his mother continued, and she continued, and they were simply transitioning the relationship, and he hadn't actually lost his mother, spiritually speaking, that she could still be there and support him. But he reframed it from a unbearable loss to a very bearable and honor-filled transition, and that made all the difference for client. Yeah, I have. We all know people dying every day, but I have some some friends who've been one who was married for 35 or 40 years who just lost her spouse and who's coping. It was unexpected. COVID is taking a lot of lives from people unexpectedly. But those people who are going through this process, you know, the phases, denial, anger, uh, bargaining, depression, acceptance, you, know, you find that 
people get stuck in one of these sometimes and just can't quite get through this to the accepted stage. Absolutely. And another thing to know about the stages is that you can flip back and forth between them. It's not like you go through one and the next. Over time, that happens. But during especially the early days and weeks of the grief process, you can flip back between denial and bargaining to depression, back to anger. And eventually, though, you want to work your way towards acceptance. That particular client had got stuck in depression. Right. Until he reframed the event, it allowed him to roll right into acceptance stage. But yeah, the stages are not necessarily. And usually when people think back about their grief process, they can identify the stage they were at and stages that they went through. Sometimes people won't be in denial. They'll skip denial entirely. They'll just go straight to bargaining or straight to depression because they know right away that the news is real. That the person really has passed. There's no bargaining to be had. There's no reason to be angry. And there's nothing to deny. The person's dead. So then it just goes straight into depression. Mm -hmm. The important thing is to understand that all of these stages, whether the person goes through all of them or part of them, that's healing. That's your psychic wound healing. There's nothing wrong with grief. Sometimes people are uncomfortable with other people's grief. And it makes them uncomfortable to see a person rack their grief. And that's a very common phenomenon. I encourage people to allow the person to have whatever grief they need to have, let them have it. That is healing in front of you. It doesn't look like healing. It looks like pain, but it really is healing literally in front of you. And so just make keep them comfortable as possible and be there for them, but don't try to stop it. Don't try to sedate them. Don't try to stop the process of their grief because here's the problem. Sometimes people want to give them a sedative or get them drunk or some other type of medication that keeps the process. The grief process has to happen. And if they've been sedated in some way, the grief process stops and then it still has to go on whenever they sober up, whatever they had. So you're better off to just let them grieve as grief as they need to grieve. And I encourage people not to try to put their own thoughts about what is the correct grief into someone else. Everybody is as highly individual in the way we grieve and the amount of time we need to grieve. There's no, in two weeks, you should be over this. What are you doing? <laughs> There's no timeline for the processing of these stages and getting to acceptance. Patience, understanding, forgiveness, kindness, compassion, empathy. These are the things to work with when you're dealing with somebody who's wrecked in grief. And these are the things to apply to your own self. If you are wrecked in grief, because often people who are wrecked in grief themselves will guilt trip themselves. I should be feeling better now. I shouldn't be feeling this way. It's been mm -hmm. enough time. Or they will think I'm weak. I'm cowardly. I shouldn't be crying. And again, show empathy, compassion, understanding, and forgiveness to yourself. Be kind to yourself. Talk to yourself as you were a friend who's going to grieve. Don't give yourself a hard time and beat yourself up about your own grief process. Yeah. What are some healthy ways that people can identify themselves in the depression phase or the numb? What are something that they can do that can help them? Because I know a lot of people say if you have a if you have a spouse that's died and your children are gone, you're alone. So that doesn't mm -hmm. help in the process. What can they do to help their, their grieving process? Depression is a very real thing. And particularly we're talking about bereavement depression here today. The person can limit consumption of alcohol. Alcohol is a depressant. Getting drunk is not a good coping mechanism for 
dealing with grief. Sure. So I encourage anybody who's in the throes of grief or dealing with bereavement, limit alcohol. I'm not saying you can't drink at all. Just don't be, the verse says, don't become drunk on the wine. Well, that's a really, mm-hmm. really good advice, whether <laughs> you're in bereavement or not. Right? Sure. So exercise, get outside, socialize. Whether you're walking outside, you get sun, get sun on your skin, get outside. Don't sit around a dark house all the time watching TV. Turn the TV off, turn the computer off, move your butt. Get to the gym and work out, go for a run, but get outside and get some air on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Socialize, reconnect with other people, connect with friends, go to uh, reunions, go to charity events in the local community, go to food fairs, get out of the house. Don't sit around and just mope. Uh, have a purpose, have a passion. Uh, if you're retired, you can volunteer at a place. Begin to have purpose and meaning outside of yourself. And uh, the social aspect is crucial. I had a I had somebody who was telling me he was so depressed. He was his wife had passed three years before, and he was still in the house. It was all of her stuff still in it, exactly as when she had been there. And his own daughter was an adult, wouldn't come and see him because of her memories of mom in the house, which I don't think is very compassionate, but Regardless, who knows what she's going through, right? But she wouldn't come and see her own dad. And he's just sitting there moping in the house. And he said, Jesse, sometimes I think about hurting myself because I'm so depressed. I said, why not sell the house, move up to the villages, which is a very popular, humongous area here in Florida around Ocala, known for its retirement community. A very, very, very large retirement community. There's plenty of social events up there. And uh, he he was south of Ocala. And so I said, no, go up there because it it gets him out of the depressed environment with memories of his deceased wife and puts him in a social situation that is where there's no memories of the deceased wife. Mm-hmm. And then he's got social support because it doesn't matter if his daughter comes to visit or not. He's got in the villages, they have tons and tons of social events going on all the time. Yeah. And he went and he did. And I saw him later and he, he was thanking me. He was so excited. He was being more social than he had been in years and was completely happy and was no longer thinking about hurting himself. He was ecstatic. So that's just one story about how a person dealt with the depression yeah. following it's a real thing. So those are just a few healthy coping mechanisms that somebody could use to help deal. And of course, get with somebody like me. Find a psychotherapist to talk about mm-hmm. reframing your grief. Like I helped that young man with his mother reframe the grief. Get context, get context into the grief. You can also consult your spiritual advisors. We're talking about Christians here. They got pastoral counselors available to help people deal with depression, bereavement, any issues around it. This is something pastors and church lay ministers have been doing for hundreds of years. There are a lot of resources. I encourage somebody that's in depression uh, in dealing with bereavement, please reach out. There are so many resources. There's no reason to hurt yourself. That won't help yeah. anybody. Okay. And another thing on that, if somebody's thinking about hurting themselves because of that loss, understand that we don't know if a person committing suicide actually relieves them of their depression, tension, anxiety, stress, whatever they're coping with. Because suicide is a stress management tactic. That's really what it is. And until we get to the other side, Ernie, we won't know ourselves if that person actually felt better when they got over there or not. But we do know there's on this side of the veil. Everybody that loved the person that killed themselves, the pain gets magnified many times and pumped into all those loved ones who now have very large psychic wounds of their own mm-hmm. that 
they will probably carry the rest of their life. Those wounds are so deep that even with acceptance, the person still, sometime down the road, they just see something and memory will snap and they'll just be bawling their eyes out, crying for the rest of their life. And that's not anything wrong with that. It's just psychic wounds so deep that you never really are the same after. Yeah. So please don't hurt yourself. Reach out, get some help. Yes, sir. I recently have a young man. He's about 12 or 13 years old whose dad just died of cancer. I know that's it. I remember being that age. It's just a time in life that you really need your father. And I'm sure that there's going to be some, these stages of grief, of course, are going to be there. And then a lot of probably some blaming of God. And, you know, why did you take him so early and that kind of thing? You know, I mean, do you have any, any words of wisdom for young people like that who are just transitioning in life into their just starting into becoming a young adult and their mentor, their father figure has been taken? How can they healthy, find a healthy way to, to grieve that and to make the best of it. Framing is essential. Okay, Frame awareness is an incredibly valuable tool used in counseling all the time. Framing and reframing. I'll give you an example of a framing that shows how powerful it is. It was assisting with an employee. An employee had been killed in a car crash on Christmas morning, very early Christmas morning, one year, many years ago. And it was a single car crash and this man died. He was 47 years old. And I knew the man in work. And uh, his mother was in her 70s. And uh, before the funeral, of course, a lot of times elderly parents don't expect to bury their adult children. It's supposed to be the other way around. And uh, it's not uncommon for adult parents to frame the passing of their adult child as being robbed, been cheated, God has forsaken me, a lot of anger, a lot of just frustration boiling over about the loss of their adult child. And if they choose to frame it that way, then no one's going to tell them they can't frame it. That way. But the way this lady, his mother chose to frame it was, I don't know why God took my son from me at 47. I just thank God for allowing him to be in my life for 47 years. Now, if you look at the first frame and all the emotional wash that's coming off of the first frame, uh, that's a much harder frame to live with. The second frame, you got some sadness, but you got appreciation for the gift of 47 years. That frame might be easier to live with. And so focusing on having the person who's dealing with it, the loss, have them framing the loss instead of, I've been cheated and robbed, etc. This is a huge loss for me. Think of the value that this person brought into their life while they were together, while they had a relationship. Focus on the things he taught me, the things he shared with me, the man he helped me become. So attitude of gratitude, appreciation, rather than focusing on the loss. You see what I'm saying? Yes, sir. That's a that's the best I can say about framing as thankfulness and love and appreciation. Because you can't do anything about the past. The loss is a loss. You can't change that. But if you reframe it to this good experience and then you view the passing as a transition rather than the end of a relationship, the whole thing is a lot easier to deal. And yeah. in Christian, you know, as Christians, we do believe it's a transition. We do believe that they went to heaven. If they lived a godly life and accepted Jesus Christ, blood or as they're covering their sins. So it that's perfectly in line with Christian beliefs. It took me someone telling me that the like you said changing my outlook I, I was stuck in victimhood 
not that my father had passed, but he wasn't in the home and it wasn't quite as active in my life as I'd like for him to be and at the time. But so I was stuck in this victimhood. Woe is me type thing. And it took me someone speaking to my life to to change that perspective because because of what happened in my life, it makes me the man that I am today. So we can either take that as a positive and go, all right, I'm going to be a better person. I'm going to live my life in honor of that person who, you know, who I had and who's gone now and how would they want me to live? And you know that they wouldn't want you to live in a state of depression and of guilt and of shame or of, of victimhood. They'd want you to strive and take what they had given you to better yourself. I just, I'm so grateful that I had somebody speak that into my life because, you know, we, in our own minds, you know, I think we're more susceptible to the negative than hearing the positive things in life. Absolutely. And to come back to the NDEs, the interviews speak for themselves as far as the importance of life and your lived life and your relationship with God versus being separate from God. And I'll give you one example. In teaching this in the class, my students was very positive that it was simply a chemical explosion in their brain and their brain was overwhelmed by the chemical process occurring around their temporary demise. And so showed him one of the interviews where a 25-year-old lady was hit by a car while she was out jogging. She had multiple broken bones. She was being worked on by three different surgeons and operating room. And of course, she was under sedation. Well, she said at some point in the surgery, she sat up spiritually. Her, her person sat up while her body continued to lay on the table. The surgeons were she said she saw three entities at the at the foot of the bed that were pure energy. And she said she didn't know if they were angels. She didn't see any wings, but they were standing there. And then she floated up to the roof of the, and this is a very common uh, experience. People talk about floating above the scene. They look down and see the body. This is very common. Again, none of these people have talked to each other. So how would you get such similar events from so many different people in different countries and everything else? It's a real phenomenon. Now, in this case, she said that the three golden beans walked behind the three surgeons that was working on her and inserted their arms into the surgeon's arms and helped the surgeons with the surgery. Huh. And then she floated out the hallway and she was surprised to see her stepfather out there eating the candy bar because he was kind of a healthy oriented guy and he didn't eat junk food, right? Yeah. So then she said she floated on down, saw her mom crying. And then floated through the hallways where she could immediately feel the medical staff that was walking in the hallway. She could feel their entire life. Like in a split second, she knew their entire life and everything that was going on with them. Then she went to heaven and she had more experiences and it was absolutely gorgeous. This is another thing. They commonly talk about how heaven is so much prettier and so much brighter. And the colors are like vibrant, more like they often compare the world we're living in as like the negative of the photo, whereas the heaven is the photo. That's huh. how much it hurts. Of course, people don't really get negatives anymore because they do, it's all digital. But back when you had actually rolls of film, you would have a negative that you could barely mm. see the outline of the picture as opposed to the beautiful, gorgeous picture. Sure. This often, like over and over, they talk about how the colors actually have vibrancy to them, not just visually, but audibly as if the hills were singing, so to speak. Wow. And she said, God spoke to her from a light and said, it wasn't her time. She had to go back. And frequently, and she argued with him, well, I don't want to go back. 
this is really cool here, right? And this is another frequent thing. People argue with the entity or whoever it is that's selling them. Sometimes it's relatives, sometimes it's an angel, sometimes it's Jesus, sometimes it's God. And they will say, oh, I want to stay. I don't want to go back. So he's on, you got he, she said he laughed at her. Like, oh, you're going to have to go back, Sunshine. And he said, I need you to become a teacher when you go back. And she said, I don't want to be a teacher. So anyway, they, she wound up, shoot, she was back in her body. And uh, she did live. She did become a teacher. And uh, she was able afterwards to confirm to her stepfather that, yes, he was, in fact, in the hallway eating candy bar. So I said to the student, if it was simply an explosion in her brain, how could she possibly have seen her stepfather in real time eating candy bar in the hallway? He had no answer. I think it's because she was experiencing a real phenomenon. It's not an explosion in the brain. Otherwise, and there's many descriptions of people floating above, sometimes floating through the ceiling. They see things on the roof that they didn't know were there, and they come back later, and they look on the roof, and the things that they saw were there. Uh, this is like independent pieces of evidence that what they experienced was a real phenomenon. They really did get transported through that ceiling. Independent ways of confirming that it wasn't just there having a dream, having yeah. a fantasy. There's many descriptions, both of heaven and hell, that are absolutely shockingly thick and real i encourage anybody who's interested in death and dying to to check them out in fact there's a movie right now out i think it's releasing this weekend called yes sir after death, after death yep and it's in the ease uh and i believe one of the i see in the trailer it looks like it's a series of people talking about their nde and one of them is a is a doctor who was drowned in south america and what happened with her so i really encourage you to go see the movie uh, there was another movie about Andy called Heaven is for Real. Yes, sir. That was out a few years ago. And uh, like just a, a little clip out of that movie, another one of those pieces of reality, right? The little boy had come back. He was fine. He was out of the hospital. And him and his mom were just in the kitchen one day. And he said, Mom, you never told me I had a sister. And she says, yeah, you got a sister in there. You know you got a sister. He says, I got a sister in heaven that I met. And she said, what? He said, yeah, this little girl came up to me and she's hugging me and hugging me. And he said, I didn't know who she was. And she said, I'm your sister. And so he said, what's your name? And she said, I don't have a name. They never named me because I died in mom's tummy. Mother was stopped, right? Because it had happened. She had had a miscarriage before her son was born. And she never told him. Of course, why would she tell him? He's a little boy. Well, miscarriages. And it was correct that they never, the child died before they came up with a name for the child. So that's a, a real point, a miscarriage that really happened that the kid had no way of knowing about. And then he goes and meets the person, gets the information from his heavenly experience before he returned to earth. And then, bam, his mom verified that, yeah, that's what he did. Wow. My sister. That's amazing. I know that our time is limited, but can we talk about some of the the negative experiences that people had, the hell experiences that you've seen that people have died and have gone to hell? What were they like? Sure. There are quite a few, and they're easy to find. Again, several channels carry this. One that comes up to mind off the top of my head was an atheist, a very aggressive atheist. Atheism is its own religion, and people who are hardcore atheists are very passionate about their religion. And he made fun of Christians and hated them and went out of his way to put them down and say bad things about them and to try to humiliate them. And he was an adult, very intelligent man, apparently, but he hated Christians and Christianity. He wound up dying. I forget the things. It's right on YouTube. You can go Google it. But I forget the exact manner of his death. And then he went to hell. 
and he was being beset by demons and he graphically describes the demons and going through most and many people who go to hell often talk about hell is levels just like in Dante's Inferno right there's levels levels of hell according to the, the type of sin the person committed they are punished according to that sin and he was going to hell and that was it he realized this wasn't where he wanted to be and this atheist in hell called out Jesus to come and save him and Jesus literally came into hell and we know that Jesus went to hell as part of his resurrection yes uh, he went down to hell and preached to the souls and so this Jesus came to hell and got this atheist out said yeah okay but I'm gonna save you and you're gonna go back but you gotta tell him what really happened you gotta tell him the word of their connection about me. And so he came back and became a Christian pastor, and he's a Christian pastor now. That's another thing about these experiences. The people come back, and the vast majority of them after NDEs dramatically change their life. And they don't they don't go, well, I got to make a lot of money, that type <laughs> of thing. They become very altruistic. They become very about, about helping other people. Some become pastors. Some were physicians transition their career to something else. Some state physicians to help other people. It's the transitions are amazing. So my point is, nobody changes their life for some imaginary thing that happened. They change their life because of a real, a real experience. And there's there's other examples of people saying that they were falling and they feel like they were falling for miles, and then they got down there and some demons literally started tearing them apart. And they were asking God to come and save them. And God suddenly saves them through a, a tube with a light at the end. And in, in another example, the guy said a, a tunnel opened up when he was screaming for help from the demons. And a tunnel opened up and sucked him out into the light. God said, okay, you got to go back. Tell them about me. Some people won't believe it. And there's even a scripture about it. So even if they were raised from the dead and, yeah. and came back, the people would not believe them. And that is absolutely true. Uh, but some people will. I believe some people. I certainly well, do. Jesus came back, and it's documented. It's one of the most documented pieces of evidence that we have in history. Even the secular people documented that Jesus was crucified, died, and then that people saw him. Five hundred Over 500 people saw him over 40 days after he resurrected from the dead. The, the Romans knew how to kill people. They didn't, you know, he, he didn't just, he didn't live from the crucifixion, and they knew how to, uh, you know, they, when he was buried, they brought a, a stone in front of his grave. They had soldiers there. They had put a, they had, fixed a tomb so that it couldn't be opened without anybody knowing. And then for the resurrection to happen and people to see him and be documented like it is, no one else has ever raised from the dead. Everyone else I know of, they're all buried and have a tomb somewhere. Yep. Thank God for his love and mercy. Yes, sir. Yeah. Wow. I encourage people to leverage their faith to help them through difficult times because difficult times for each individual person are absolutely coming because that's part of life. And if you view death as part of the cycle of life, it's a lot easier to accept. Most people really aggravate their trauma of the passing of their loved ones or the passing of themselves by fighting against what is the design of God. Everything must die that others may live. And just as Jesus had to die, that we might live spiritually. So stop fighting it. Accept it as part of the cycle of life because that's what we all must do. And if you allow them to step into, in, across the veil with dignity, support, and kindness, we reap what we sow. Yes, sir. 
Well, Doc, I know we got limited time. If someone else someone wants to hear some more of your um, the things that you have to share, I know you've done some other podcasts, haven't you? Is there, do you have anything in front of you that you can give us some information on how they can listen to you somewhere else sure. outside of this podcast? Well, I've got some uh, posts on LinkedIn under uh, Dr. Jesse Collins and uh, some things on Facebook that I've posted over time on uh, Dr. Jesse Collins. They can also contact me directly through Facebook or uh, LinkedIn and uh, just reach out to me if they have questions or whatever. Happy to to help if I can. I, as far as psychotherapy, I'm limited to the residents of Florida, but that's about to change in the spring. I have access to a lot more people in a lot more states because of the compact that's being made, the licensing compact that's being made between states. Yes, sir. But if they have questions, feel free to reach out. Happy to help. Okay. Well, um, I hope you'll join me again here in the future and we'll have another conversation about all kinds of stuff, but I always enjoy seeing you, Doc, and talking to you. My, my wife, she loves you. She loves every now and then she'll be walking through the house and she'll be um, your first podcast you that we did. You um, were talking about, I think, speaking to yourself and you're like, Doc Collins, Doc Collins. And she'll just, <laughs> she'll spit it out because she'll be thinking about, you know, you saying that. And uh, Yeah, so yeah. Be uh, kind to yourself. Yeah. yeah. Press the hand. All right, Ernie, it's been a pleasure, sir. God bless you and your ministry. Thanks for listening to the Balanced Man Podcast. You can find us on the web at thebalancedmanpodcast.com and on Facebook at the Balanced Man Podcast. 